you guys. Uh, what a what a blessing just to uh, be led by our our students. Uh, like Kevin said earlier, uh, man, we are uh, we're blessed to have a lot of a lot of talent in this church, and so um, man, we we appreciate those guys uh, leading us here today. Also, I appreciate uh, our uh, our praise band. Uh, it's always nice to have a, a week off, and uh, we appreciate uh, all that you guys do as well. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation 17 this morning, so however you prefer, you can be turning there. Um, man, the, the, the songs that were chosen today, I had nothing to do with, um, but they go right along with the message, which is uh, just like the Lord to uh, just tie everything in. Uh, in this timeline of Revelation, we are getting closer and closer to the end of the seven-year Great Tribulation. Uh, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we looked at the seven bowls of the wrath of God poured out on what is left of the earth as God uh, reclaims what is rightfully his. <laughs> and each bowl had a specific target, and many are reminiscent of the plagues in Egypt uh, in Exodus. But as we've seen, these are on a much grander worldwide scale. And really, we cannot sugarcoat any of them because we cannot sidestep the reality of God's wrath. Last week, it started with loathsome sores, incurable, causing constant pain. Repulsive sores will be on all who have rejected God. Next, the waters were turned to blood, killing every living creature in both fresh and salt water. The inhabitants of the earth have been bloodthirsty against God's people, and so now he gives them what they wanted. The fourth bowl brings global warming like never seen before. God's word says that men are scorched, and staying hydrated isn't possible anymore with the water system decimated as it is. And so if they are still around, the polar ice caps would melt, flooding large and prosperous cities all around the world. And even after all of this, God's word says they would not repent. The fifth bowl brings darkness and pain as God turns the spotlight off of the Antichrist that he's shown on himself. And he exposes the weakness of his kingdom. Next we see the Euphrates is dried up, erasing a natural border that, and allowing demonically influenced armies to come to the valley of Armageddon where the final battle of all time will take place. The earth will finally be shaken. We can speculate all day long about e what each one of these really represent, what each one of these mean, but my conclusion is in verse 15 of chapter 16, where Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So the bottom line, church, Jesus is coming back. And you and I desperately need to live lives of holiness to be ready for that moment whenever it comes. So at this point in Revelation, John has fully unpacked the message of the scroll that only the Lamb was able to open back in chapter 4. Now chapter 17 is, is another that is difficult to navigate through, but we trust that with God... All things are possible, and so if you are able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God. As we start chapter 17, we read through verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, 
come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the king of the earth committed fornication, the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the, dark, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So, uh, I, I told you, it's, it's, it's strange, it's weird to navigate through, but um, uh, here we are introduced to a woman, and she is dressed in scarlet. Now, uh, scarlet represents something that has been bloodstained and full of sin uh, in the Word of God. So, Revelation 12.3, it is the color of Satan. In Isaiah 1.18, the, the prophet wrote this, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So the first blank on your outline. Uh, scarlet represents sin here. Now this passage goes on to describe this woman as the great harlot who sits on a scarlet beast that is full of blasphemy. Now we know from our study already, uh, the beast is the Antichrist. The beast is the Antichrist. And we soon find out that this woman represents Babylon. The woman represents Babylon. So scarlet represents sin, the beast is the Antichrist, and the woman represents Babylon. From chapter 14, we know what Babylon represents. A complete rebellion towards the things of God. And it's an adoption of the things of Satan. It is the religious system of the Antichrist. And so basically... Everything that is quintessentially evil is represented in this woman. Sinful, scarlet woman represents rebellion toward God, the, the religious system of the Antichrist. Now, we could include in that every other world religion besides true Christianity because ultimately they are all against God, the one true God, and have blinded everyone who follows them into believing a lie. Church, even though these chapters are telling of events in the future, we know that the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well today. So this is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives that would be considered rebellion towards God? Is there anything in our lives that is against God and has hooked us into believing a lie. Because it's likely uh, the things that slip into our lives are, are not as blatantly evil as what we see here in Revelation. But a half-truth is still no truth. It's still a lie. Satan still uses the same schemes that he did in the garden when he asked Eve. Now, God didn't really say this, did he? 
God doesn't really care if you're not holy in this area, does he? God doesn't mind if you just dabble a little bit in sin, just in this little part of sin, right? God's okay if we wink at sin in just this one situation, right? Actually, no, he's not. But what he is, is holy. And he calls us to live lives of holiness. Not legalistically, but worshipfully because of all he's done for us. Is there anything in your life that would be considered rebellion towards God? Is there anything in my life that has hooked me into believing a lie? So scarlet represents what? Sin. The beast is who? The Antichrist. And the woman represents what? Babylon. All right, you're with me. Verse 4, once again. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So we see this woman is all dolled up, pretentious, arrayed in the finest clothes, but she drinks a cup of her filthy abominations and fornication. In other words, uh, she may look really good on the outside, but in the inside is a completely different story. Now, many times uh, throughout the Word of God, and even here in Revelation, fornication represents idolatry. Fornication represents idolatry. Uh, God accused His people over and over again of playing the harlot when they went out and worshipped other gods. And so the contrast here is with the bride of Christ, described as a pure virgin in 2 Corinthians 11.2. And so again, we begin to see this picture painted of good versus evil. And so this is the, the kingdom of heaven that we saw in Matthew 5 on Friends Day, if you were with us. The kingdom that Jesus offers is better than what we think our hearts want. I mean, consider this for a moment. All the religious system of Babylon has done throughout the ages. Every evil, every hurt, every loss, every pain, every regret can be traced back to an adopted lifestyle of rebellion and sin towards the things of God. Sin always leads to brokenness. So what once started with a woman, with her husband, in a beautiful garden, now ends with a woman with all of her lovers in this desolate wilderness. This is the path that sin always takes, away from the good, lush, pure blessings of God into the dry and lonely wilderness. And all who have bought into the lifestyle of Babylon, who oppose God, and persecute his followers, this is their end. So bear with me as we continue to read. Remember, John was amazed at this woman. These next verses are, are, are difficult to navigate through. Verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was... And is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
when they see the beast that was and is and yet and is not and yet is. So remember, the beast is the Antichrist. And when it says that he was and is not and yet is, it's referring to his perceived death back in chapter 13. As John described the beast from the sea, verse 3 in chapter 13 says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So he was, and then he died, and then he arose. Remember, everything that Satan does is counterfeit of what God and Jesus have done. So it can be confusing, but it can also make sense. Let's continue, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Okay, so again, don't get lost in the wording. Uh, This is also describing that deadly wound of the Antichrist. He was the seventh king, and then he died, and he resurrected, and now he's the eighth king. Uh, The woman rides a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. Verse 9 tells us that these seven heads represent seven mountains, and in context, likely represent seven kingdoms. Seven heads represent seven kingdoms. Now, something that is interesting to note. Uh, We know geographically that Rome was built on seven hills. You can actually Google the seven hills of Rome and and find out, find all about, um, more information about them. And so today, some believe that what is being described here is a revival of the Roman Empire. The original readers certainly would have thought this was just a continuation of the Roman Empire. But it really doesn't make sense any difference who it is because they represent the same thing whether it is Babylon or Rome or Russia or the United States any nation is capable of adopting the religion of Babylon forgetting the one true God and putting wealth or military might or politics or anything else in his place and being blinded to following the lies of Satan like how Tim Mackey said this, Babylons will come and go until the day Jesus comes and replaces them with his kingdom. Babylons will come and go until the day Jesus comes and replaces them with his kingdom. And so whoever they are, there will be ten rulers under the leadership of the Antichrist. So here again, we have that number seven. It's the number of completeness. The the beast's influence has been throughout history, and it will be through the end, but the end is near. The next blank on your outline, the ten horns represent ten kings. Ten horns represent ten kings or rulers under the leadership of the Antichrist. And so we could think of it like ten world districts. These are special kings in that they're only given an hour each to reign, it says. This is probably not literal, but it highlights the fact that they will not reign very long. Verse 13 tells us that they give their authority to the beast. Pick it up in verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, 
but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So, who is the lamb? Is Jesus. Yeah. Who overcomes? Is Jesus. Who is Lord of Lords? Who is King of Kings? Who wins? Is Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Who wins? Jesus does. So it's here at the Battle of Armageddon that victory will take place. See that in the next chapter. See, if, if you want to see victory, you have to trust the Lamb, even when it doesn't make sense to. Even if you don't feel like He's trustworthy. I mean, how many times in this narrative did it seem like victory would never be obtained by the good guys? Remember in chapter 5, there wasn't anyone in all of heaven to open the scroll. In chapter 6, the martyrs cried out for vengeance, and God simply said, it's not time yet. The earth has been decimated over and over again. The two witnesses seemed to have victory, but they were killed, and now they're gone. Satan has been given free reign on the earth, and now this woman, dressed like a queen, drunk on the blood of the saints, is influencing all nations to make war against the Lamb. But none of this changes the fact that the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of Lords, and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Same way, church, whatever you're going through doesn't change the fact that the Lamb will overcome. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Can't we just acknowledge that the gospel, it, it fixes everything. But it doesn't fix everything right now. But one day, the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. If you're born again, you are called, Chosen and faithful. I know some of us may be uh, wrestling with doubts from time to time. Maybe you walked in, just, man, your faith is just taking a beating lately. Struggling. Life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. And one way or another, Satan has sown seeds of doubt in your heart, and they've been growing. I can, I can remember wrestling with some of the same doubts throughout my adult years. And I believe that it's part of working out our salvation with fear and trembling spoken of in Philippians 2.12. The conclusion that I have had to come to with my doubts as I have examined my heart through them. You know, I, have, I have done everything required in the word of God to gain salvation, which is admitting my sin believing who Jesus is, and confessing Him as Lord of my life. So really, I didn't do anything. It's all about Jesus. 
But I can rest in the fact that salvation is so simple. It does not need me to add anything to it. And its simplicity really is one reason why so many miss it. And so I remember back to the day that he called me and that I surrendered to him. It is a most precious day, December 11th, 1989. Remember when he called you? He doesn't call by accident. He doesn't call and then hang up. He completes the work he started in us. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is Alpha and Omega. And because of the gospel, those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. That last one can be kind of tough, can't it? Faithful. (laughs) Because there are a lot of times I just don't feel very faithful to him. Never forget a conversation I had with a 90-something-year-old lady a few years ago pillar of this church after she lost her son she just admitted to me brother jim my faith is so weak it wasn't long after that the lord showed me second timothy 2 13 to share with her we are faithless he remains faithful he cannot deny himself and our faith is dependent on the lord it is a gift from god i am who he says i am not who anybody else says that I am. So if you're struggling and doubting your faith, be encouraged here today. Continue to move forward. Come to the same conclusion that I did. It's all about Jesus anyway. While I may be on a roller coaster sometimes, the firm foundation of Jesus is solid through every storm. We are faithless. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. True believers, we're not affected by the kings of the world. The lamb will overcome. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. One of these days, all of these struggles will appear to be light, momentary afflictions compared to the glorious gloriousness of heaven one of these days so we've seen all this evil here in revelation culminating on the battlefield finish out the chapter with god doing something that we've seen him do before using his enemies to defeat his enemies pick it up in verse 15 then he said to me the waters which you saw Where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this is uh, similar to Jezebel in 2 Kings 9. Remember Jezebel, the Old Testament um, murderous queen wife of Ahab? She lived a life completely against God. 
and was ultimately brought to, to justice when one of her own subjects pushed her out a three-story window, I believe it was, where she was trampled on and eaten by dogs. And the only thing they could find of her after that was her, her hands, her feet, and her skull. This woman here in Revelation, we met at the beginning of the chapter, she will also be brought to justice and left for nothing. This is the path that sin takes. So, if nothing else, chapter 17 should encourage us to live holy lives separate from the world. Because don't we know that if God calls us to give something up for him, it's worth it. Chapter 17 calls us to remain steadfast. Because Satan's counterfeit religion is subtle. And so spiritual discernment is required to recognize it and to hear God's voice above all others. There's always been a pressure to conform to whatever is popular, whatever itching ears want to hear, and that's why the Word of God is so timeless. It says to us in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent. Present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you hear those words? Be diligent. What does that mean personally to you? In your own life, in your own faith, how can you, how should you be diligent? What's the Lord saying to your heart? In the midst of all these symbols and strange visions, God's word still speaks to our heart today. The last blanks on your outline. If you want to see victory, you've got to trust the Lamb. Even when it doesn't make any sense to you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes where you are. <coughs> we go into a time of invitation. What has God said to you this morning through his word? Several things that come up with me as I as I allow God's word to examine my own heart. Is there anything rebellious in my life? Is there any one area that I've been tempted to uh, just turn a blind eye to the sin in my life? Because that's where God wants us to start with us. Maybe you're here today and You've been putting that off for a long time. You get to a place where you can't hear the voice of God anymore because it's so drowned out by everything else. Well, it's been said that you go back to the last thing that God told you to do and start there. Is there anything rebellious in your life? Uh, when you hear the words, be diligent, what does that mean to you? Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. You just need to commit to opening the word of God on a more consistent basis. Maybe you need to commit to starting a Bible study here. There are many options. Maybe for you, you're just struggling with doubts. Your faith has taken a beating lately. 
taking courage. Because choosing to trust the Lord through it all, it's the right thing to do. Lord, we just come to you today uh, needing you more than anything. We, uh, we thank you for your word. God, we acknowledge that it is a strange chapter. Let us not be uh, scared because of it. Let us not panic and just, uh, just brush them off. Speak to our hearts. Give us spiritual eyes. Lord, if there are any among us here who don't know you as the Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there are any here who need to return to you, may today be the day that they do that. If there are any among us who are, are just struggling, Lord, burdens that walk in this place each and every Sunday, burdens that would attack our faith. God, I know there's some here. Help us to trust. Meet us where we are. Fill the void that has been left. Thank you for this church. We thank you for this opportunity to come. In the awesome name of Jesus that we pray.